Businesses large and small need a back-end, manufacturing execution, solutions that scale with your business as it grows, offloading important tasks, workforce training, and supply chain management. These things are the lifeblood of your success. Industry 40 EZ is your solution with a simple to use and groundbreaking solution to take care of all your back-end needs with one easy to use system. From the business owner to the factory floor, real-time operational intelligence guides the team to use resources such as workforce and inventory like no other solution before it. They know your headaches, inconsistent workforce output, resource limitations such as financials and not having enough people, entry errors, extensive time spent scheduling and planning, how much money is in the bank, how can I keep up with the cost of all my materials, and how can I track this in real time, how can I get a solution like this without going broke. Productivity is about to change, and Industry 40 EZ is that change. It offers real-time data tracking with all your business needs, but don't take it from me. Head to industry40ez.com to read testimonials from real customers who use this system and find out how they were able to dramatically change their game. This solution was built from the ground up with you and your business in mind. Business operators and their teams want cost reduction, improved quality, waste reduction, inventory optimization, improved workforce utilization, and process streamlining. They want to know, financially, where their company is at all times. This is the answer. No IT resources required, and it was designed precisely that way. The system offers role-based intelligence to guide the team. No hiring loads of people to do these tasks, spending unnecessary money on the payroll when you can have all these solutions in one place. Check out Industry40EZ online at industry40ez.com and contact the team for your initial 30-minute consultation or book a demo. Your host, Billy Dean Shoemate III here, and welcome back to another episode of Strange Places. I hope you guys have been, been enjoying the uh, kind of bonus content, the kind of extras, like in the news kind of stuff, what's happening now. It's pretty neat. I've been enjoying making those, and it's neat to, you know, stay updated on that kind of stuff. It gives me new ideas for episodes, and it kind of fills in the gap in between core episodes of Strange Places. I'm excited about it. I like the... But, you know, it's all up to you guys. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if the listeners say they don't dig it, then it's got to go. But I, I enjoy making it. So let's just get right into this one because this is, uh, this is a nut to crack for sure. Today we're going to Zimbabwe. We're going back in time a little bit too. September 16th, 1994 to be exact. On September 16th, 1994... There was a UFO sighting outside of Rua, Zimbabwe. 62 children. 62. At the aerial school aged between 6 and 12, claimed that they saw one or more silver craft descend from the sky and land on a field near the school. One or more creatures, dressed in all black, 
then approached the children and telepathically communicated to them a message with a bit of an environmental theme, frightened the children, caused them to cry, and for a few of them, changed their lives forever. The Fortune writer Jerome Clark has called the incident the most remarkable close encounter of the third kind of the 1990s. I disagree, Mr. Clark. I'll go on on a limb here and say this is the most remarkable close encounter in human history. Skeptics have described the incident as one of mass hysteria. Not all the children at the school that day claimed they saw something, but several of those that did maintain that the account is true. We'll get more into that as we dive deeper. I've been wanting to talk about this one since <laughs> for a while. But this one is such this is such a big one to unpack. Like the Elisa Lamb thing, it took two episodes to take care of that. This one was honestly overwhelming. But I think we're at the point where I just can't avoid it any longer. Rua, it's a, it's a little agricultural center, about 14 miles southeast of the capital. Harare, am I saying that right? At the time of the incident, it was not a town, but only like a local place name. No better than crossroads in an agricultural area. Ariel School. This is an expensive private school at the time. It still is, but most of the pupils are from wealthy white families in the capital. Two days prior to the incident at Ariel, there'd been a number of UFO sightings throughout the entirety of Southern Africa. There were numerous reports of bright fireballs passing through the sky at night, Many people answered ZBC Radio's request to call in and describe what they'd seen. Although some witnesses interpreted the fireball as comets, meteors, what have you, it did result in a wave of UFO mania in Zimbabwe at that time. That, that should be mentioned. According to a skeptic, Brian Dunning, the fireball had been the re-entry of the Zenith 2 rocket from the Cosmos 2290 satellite launch. What happened? The booster broke up, from what I can see anyway. This is kind of hard to look up, but from what I gather, from what was released to the public anyway, the booster broke up into these burning streaks as it moved throughout the sky. It gave quite the light show to millions of Africans. Local UFO researcher Cynthia Hind recorded other alien sightings at the time, not UFO, straight up alien, including a daylight sighting by a young boy and his mother and a report of alien beings standing on the side of the road reported by a trucker. The sightings at Ariel, which we're focusing mainly on, well, solely on, because it's such a such a strange story. You've heard about it. it. So many YouTube channels have tackled this. Joe Rogan's talked about it. But what is this? What does the common sense of strange places tell us? Right, this podcast where we, you know, we say it, and it's true that common sense is something never used in the study of this kind of stuff anymore. When we use just real common sense, no prejudices, did this happen? We're going to dive into this, I think, in a bit of a different way. The sightings at Ariel occurred at 10 a.m. on the 16th of September, 1994. The children were outside during their mid-morning break. The adult faculty at the school were having a meeting at that time. The entire incident lasted about 15 minutes. When the children returned to class, they told the teachers what they had seen, but they were dismissed, like it was just them coming up with fantasy stuff. When they came home, they told their parents. 
as any children child would. Many of the parents came to the school the next day to discuss what had happened with the faculty. The sighting was reported on ZBC Radio, from where Cynthia Hind herself learned about it. Now, you might think this is a little unnecessary, but I do have to mention Cynthia Hind. She plays a very big part in this story. See, the BBC's correspondent in Zimbabwe, Tim Leach, he visited the school on the 19th of September to film interviews with the students and the staff. After investigating this incident, he came back. He visited the school on the 20th of September, 1994, saying, eh, something ain't right here. Cynthia interviewed some of the children and asked them to draw pictures of what they'd seen. Most of us have seen these pictures. These pictures are viewed all over the world. The drawings that these children made. What's incredible about it, 60 children, 60 of them, they all drew the same thing and told her the same exact story, no deviation. That November, Harvard University professor of psychiatry, John Mack, if that name sounds familiar, it ought to, in this area of study anyway, he visited the aerial school to interview the witnesses. Now, these, these, this was the really famous interviews that we know about today. Throughout the 90s, Mack had investigated UFO sightings. He had a particular interest in alien abduction cases. In May of 1994, the dean of Harvard Medical School, Daniel C. Tolson, appointed a committee to, of peers to confidential. Uh, uh, why can I say this word? Confid, confidentially? That's a hell of a word. Review Max clinical care and clinical investigation of the people who shared their alien encounters with him. The issue was that Mac had communicated to these people that their experience may have been real. He didn't lie to the children. He said, you know what? What you saw is what you saw. And if you believe what you saw, I want to hear about it. Now, a lot of people give him crap for this and say that he subconsciously put something into these kids' heads. He didn't hypnotize them. He just said an offhand comment. But anyway, after 14 months, Harvard issued a statement stating that the dean had reaffirmed Dr. Mack's academic freedom to study what he wishes and to state his opinions without impediment. That's pretty amazing. Listen to that. Harvard issued a statement saying that the dean reaffirmed Dr. Mack's academic freedom to study what he wishes and to state his opinions without impediment. We're talking about UFOs here, aliens. The thing that they took away Bob Lazar's entire schooling record over. Right? We proved that on this show with the, you know, I'm confident of that. And for Harvard to come out and say something like this, that's amazing. According to the interviews of Hind, Leach, and Mack, 62 children between the ages of 6 and 12 claimed to have seen at least one UFO. Dozens more children who were present stated they had not seen any UFO or anything unusual. Strange. And I'll tell you why. The basic details of the sightings were quite consistent, scarily consistent, although not all the fine details were. One or more silver objects, usually described as discs, appeared in the sky. They then floated down to a field of brush and small trees just outside the school property. When I say outside the school property, I'm talking within feet of the fence. Between one and four creatures with large eyes, all dressed in black, exited a craft and approached the children. At this point, many of the children ran, but some, mostly older children, stayed and watched. According to Max interviews, the creature or creatures then telepathically communicated to the children an environmental message before returning to the craft and flying away. 
According to Dunning, this telepathic message aspect of the story was not included in Hinder Leach's reports. Max, yeah, it was in his. What's interesting, in Max's interviews with one fifth grader, he tells how he was warned about something that's going to happen and that destruction of the planet that pollution mustn't be. An 11-year-old girl told Mac, I think they want people to know that they're actually, that we're actually making harm on this world. Listen to that. An 11-year-old girl said, I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this world and we mustn't get too, listen to this, technologically efficient. Technology, danger. Hmm. One child said he was told the world would end because we're not taking care of it. The children were adamant that they had not seen a plane. Hine noticed that the different cultural background of the children, this is a mixed pot of kids here. I know it's Zimbabwe. This gave rise to different interpretations of what they'd seen, you would think. They didn't all believe that they had seen extraterrestrials, actually. Some of the children thought the short little beings were... Tikalishes, they're creatures of uh, local folklore. But one thing is consistent. They knew what they were seeing was not natural, was not human. The aerial school UFO incident quickly became one of the most famous UFO cases in Africa and the world. June 2021 episode of the BBC's Witness History, the event was described as one of the most significant events in UFO history. Again, I'll one-up you there. I think this was one of the most significant events in human history. Ufologists continue to cite the case as providing compelling evidence of extraterrestrial visits to Earth. They said this is, others say this is mass hysteria or even a prank. Well, we'll get into that. December 2020, Brian Dunning devoted an episode of his Skeptoid podcast to the incident. In it, he noted, because I got to tell you both sides, that some children in the school claimed they had not seen anything unusual that day. He challenged the often repeated claim that as rural school children in Zimbabwe, the witnesses would not have had exposure to modern media and so would not have been familiar with the concept of UFOs and alien visitors to this degree. Hind interviewed the children in groups of four to six with every other child allowed to listen. And so their stories were, you know, uh, cross-contaminated, some people say. I watched the videos, man. I saw it myself. He grouped the children based on whether they saw it or whether they didn't, where, where they were standing in conjunction with, e with each other. I'm sorry, but that one is bunk. I saw it on the video myself. These stories were not cross-contaminated. He grouped the children based on where they were standing at the time and the criteria, you know, based on the criteria of what they said. I saw one ship. I saw two ships. I saw one being. I saw two beings. He grouped them that way. That's hogwash. They were not cross-contaminated. Mac only interviewed the children two months after the alleged sighting, and Dunning says that Mac, a known environmentalist, prompted and suggested these telepathic communication angles, which wasn't present in Hines' previous report. Got to tell you both sides. Several of the witnesses maintained that what was reported is true. In 2014, the Mail and Guardian spoke to one witness who said that she fears that the creatures will return. This is a grown person saying this. And that she can sense that they are back in the atmosphere. Floating invisible above our cities. In 2016, witness Emily Trim exhibited paintings that she described as a manifestation of the messages she received from the beings that day. 
And a large percentage of these children, the 62, they all are very environmentally minded. They do things with the environment. They do things about their local communities. They're very mindful of that. Were they always like this? Or is it because of this this incident? In 2021, Barstool sports writer Zah spoke in an interview about being a pupil in Ariel that day. He recounted that he saw a bright light come down from the sky and aliens exited the thing. Other witnesses were interviewed for the 2020 documentary, The Phenomenon, which I watched shortly before recording this. Watched it last night, actually. And it spoke about how the experience has affected them. There is so much to unpack here. I think the only way to do it is to go step by step. Because there's a lot here. Rua, Zimbabwe. This is a rich kid's school. But it's a melting pot. This is Africa. There's kids from all kinds of different age groups, you know, religious groups and cultural groups. The teachers were having a meeting at the time. Right? 62 children. You know what's getting me here? Let's play the prank angle, right? Let's say all these kids got together and be like, hey, let's freak out the teachers. (laughs) Even if they commiserated and said, this is what we're going to draw. This is what we're going to do. There's going to be some deviation. And yes, there is deviation. Some of the kids say they saw nothing. Don't you find it kind of odd? And if you watch this film, if you look at the original interviews... The ones that said they saw nothing were the ones that ran. (laughs) Funny that they don't talk about that. Of course they didn't see anything. They hauled ass as soon as they saw either the reactions from their fellow students or that they kind of felt in the air that something ain't right here. Of course they didn't see anything. They hauled ass. They ran. There's deviation about the number of ships that were seen, the number of aliens that were seen. Okay, these are little kids. And it's been, what, 30 years? There's going to be some muddling there. There's going to be some deviation there. What I find particularly interesting, and why I'm not diving into this specifically about the deviation, is because all the aliens that the children drew were exactly the same. Look at the drawings. The way that the UFO is sitting behind the tree line, the children drew all of them the exact same way. The same number of trees, the same way that the UFO is poking out of the trees. Let me tell you something, okay? Without getting too deep here, as a parent, you can see it. But as the parent of a child who has been traumatized, you can really see it. I'm not trying to play that card. But as the parent of a child who has been, who has faced trauma, I'm talking life-changing trauma that they don't understand. I know that look, boy. I know that look. And I see it on the faces of these children. It was like... It's a strange look. It was like they instantly all turned 80 years old. They had this look in their eyes. This... Wisdom they weren't supposed to have. Something was thrust upon them. Now, some people argue that it was Mac himself that hypnotically suggested this to the children. 
maybe it was a power suggestion. Maybe he said some things during the interviews he shouldn't have said. The environmental angle, we can't prove that. We can't. I do find it odd that every single one of these students is doing something environmentally as environmentally conscious. This wasn't witnessed by some guy in a back alley here. We're talking 62 children who all said, if you count for the deviation of just being a little kid and it happening back in the 1990s, are describing the same damn thing. I think it's reasonable to suspect that there's something weird happened that day, but what the hell was it? I know the face. You cannot dispute that. As a parent who has seen the look in the eyes of a traumatized child, these kids are traumatized. It's like they instantly get this that same look in the eyes of someone who's elderly, who has seen it all, and maybe doesn't even understand it all, but maybe has seen a little bit too damn much. And then you mix into the account that these are children, and this has been thrust upon them. They don't understand this. Yes, these are wealthy kids. They're going to be a lot more well-spoken than kids in just normal public schools. That's, I hate to be like that, but that's just how it is. They were educated better, period. <laughs> they just were. I don't see, and use your common damn sense. People are saying this should be not counted at all because of the slightest amount of deviation. Well, for Christ's sake, these are little kids, but this happened back in the 90s. There's going to be some deviation. And let me tell you something, the deviation is exactly where I expect to see it. Exactly. They're saying that they saw, look at the core of it. They're saying that they saw a ship land. They all drew the trees in the exact same spot. They said that they saw little creatures come out and just stand at the other end of the fence and stare at them. This wasn't 100 yards away. This wasn't 150 yards away. This wasn't 50 yards away. This wasn't 20 yards away. They were standing right on the other end of the fence. One of the children said, if I stuck out my arm and really strained and pushed myself into the fence, I could have touched it. These things were close to them. One teacher described being in the meeting and all of a sudden hearing a mass of children screaming and crying like something had scared the shit out of them. Naturally, Afterwards, people went out, they studied the landing site, they studied the soil, everything. UFO didn't leave a mark. There was no evidence that this anything landed there at all. But the children say that something did. We have firmly established that UFOs, as <laughs> in terms of extraterrestrial piloted craft something from interstellar space that was not made by human beings we have a firmly established on this show through various episodes that that is indeed a real thing we have established that there are quote-unquote alien beings alien to us right not human as i said i have theories on what i think they are but we can agree i can agree that these are alien to us. They are not human beings. We have established that these things are real. Irrefutable. 
with that known, <laughs> is this one of those cases? Did this really happen? It was kind of spooky when I saw all the children, the grown-ups, you know, being reunited after all this time. They spread out to every corner on earth. <laughs> they had to go every country out there. So many places to get all of these people together. A lot of them, most of them, hadn't seen each other since they went to school together. It was bizarre to watch. It looked like a group of people. I just got to tell you, man, because I fucking know. I have seen it. Not only am I a parent, but I've seen the look of trauma on a child that instantly, that's the best way I can describe it, the instant thousand-yard stare of an old man at the end of his life. They had that same look when they all saw each other. They all shared an experience. Was it real? Or is it like some people say, and I can, I can play with this, I can agree with this, that they all believed it was real. They believed in it so much. They all collectively believed it was real. 62 children. I could understand a handful of loggers in Snowflake, Arizona. They're convinced that this thing is real, that this really happened. Is that what they saw? I don't know, but they sure as shit are convinced. Six is pretty compelling. Loggers in Snowflake, Arizona, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We'll talk about that one. <laughs> I've been to that landing site, actually. Yeah, I didn't stay there long. That, <laughs> that place kind of scared the shit out of me. But 62, 62, that's a lot of people. There were sightings of UFOs around the area at the time. I want to look at some of these pictures just to stay fresh on this. So hang with me. I'm going to pull up another tab here. I want to look at some of these drawings with some fresh eyes. I know I just watched the documentary The Phenomenon last night, but I want to look at this. Yeah, it could have been a put-on. It could have been, you know, these kids just cooked up something or what have you. You can't fake that look in their eyes, man. You can't fake that. These kids were traumatized by something. Was it a prank? Was somebody messing with them? Their drawings all look pretty damn similar. The same tree line, the same looking ship. You could even count the number of trees that were in front of the ship, and it's consistent. There's some deviation with the build with the uh, with the beings. But they fit your typical account of what you would see as a gray alien. The large black eyes, diminutive stature, large heads. The telepathic thing, I know I really want to, I, I, I want to dive into that. But we really can't. There have been a lot of cases where people would get visions, environmental visions, warnings, signs and visions of great cataclysms. One person even reported that they were shown cataclysms on Earth and other planets. 
these great cataclysms that are happening to life on Earth. This is what happens if you don't quit trashing your planet. Environmentally conscious visions. This is not the first case of that. Could it have been inspired by Matt? Could it have accidentally have been placed into these kids' heads? Maybe accidentally, hypnotically, whatever? These kids wouldn't have known about the environmental visions and the visions of great cataclysms and world destruction and potential outcomes of our misuse of this planet. Mac would have known. That's one thing that bugs me out of this whole thing. Can't prove that either. Something did happen to those children. It did. You cannot, and I, I keep going back to this, but use your common sense, man. Common sense is never used in this field of study anymore. <laughs> Sometimes the simplest solutions are really the easiest ones, but you can't get lazy. You've got to do your research. You have to. you got to do your homework. But man, if you keep digging and digging and beating this dead horse and beating this dead horse and beating this dead horse, eventually, <laughs> you're going to find something. <laughs> Truth is always within that first three or four feet of dirt. And it's always wrapped in a big golden box. Truth jumps up at you, lands right on your head. That's not something that you really have to dig for. Yes, yeah, specific things and very detailed truths and stuff like that, but I'm talking about the whole situation as a whole, the big meat of it, right? There's always, you can always find that rather easily. These children were traumatized. They were scared to death by something that they saw outside over that fence on September 16th, 1994. It was witnessed by 62 of them, and they're drawing eerily similar photos. Unfortunately, there isn't enough to prove here that these were alien beings. I cannot rule out the possibility that this may have been some kind of a prank. And there's one other thing that bugs me too. There was more how do I word this? There was more, it, with the children, there was more of an excitable nature to them. When the incident first happened, before anybody showed up, it was more of kind of an, it, 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 they were still scared and confused, but they didn't have that look of just trauma, that thousand yard stare that I've seen on traumatized children. They didn't have that. There was more of an excited kind of thing about it. They told their teachers. They told their parents. They were still keyed up. They were still scared. <sighs> Something's bugging me. I didn't see that look on their faces until Max showed up. I'm not blaming anything on him. I'm not saying that he psychologically pushed the children one way or the other. But if anybody knew how to do that, even accidentally, this is why a lot of... You know, but recently, a lot of alien abductees, people who have had close counters and you know, sightings, people who have alleged implants put into them, stuff like that, more and more lately, they've been dissuaded for, from undergoing hypnotic regression therapy. It takes one slip up. One person to say just the slightly wrong word, and guess what? That guy just manufactured a memory in your head, and it's going to be as clear as your last birthday. You can accidentally put something into somebody's head. 
when you're in that state, that hypnotic state, you've got to be dealing with an absolute pro. But there's no way to figure that. You could ask for their accolades. You could ask to see their college degrees. You could ask to see all the records of every hypnotic session they've ever done. And it's still not going to tell you if this person is a true, I'm talking master level, man. I don't want nobody digging in my brain, messing with memories that may or may not fuck me up for the rest of my life and him be inefficient at dealing with these memories or a little bit loose-lipped to where I'm traumatized for the rest of my life. Is there some degree of that? As we're going more and more into this episode, I thought about the aerial school UFO incident, I thought that I'd be like, proven, boom, proven. And it's really hard to fight those prejudices. <laughs> it is. It's really hard to fight because I want this one to be true. I don't want those poor kids to be traumatized. I want them to move on with their lives. I wish this had never happened to them, whatever it was. I wish it never happened to them. But the prospect of aliens landing telepathically communicating with these little kids. If it's true, this is the most incredible <laughs> moment. At least, you know, one of the top incredible moments in human existence. But I'm seeing some stuff here that's rubbing me wrong. And I hate to say it, I don't want to talk ill of anybody, but Max in the center of all of it. Not all of it. I take that back. You can't prove that this wasn't some kind of a prank, not by the kids. Let me reiterate. Let me say that in a little bit more detail. I don't think that the kids pulled a prank. The story would not be that consistent, period. I think it's possible due to the UFO outbreak and what was going on at the time, and it, it wouldn't have reached the, the it wouldn't have reached the children, not to the degree that you see here. It just wouldn't have. Use your damn head. But could this have been a prank by somebody else? You know? Getting a big kite-flown UFO, dressing up in an alien costume, what have you. And then you have some doctor that comes in and either on purpose or accidentally places things into these children's heads hypnotically. It's happened before. I can't rule that out either. But why, in my common sense brain, my instinct, why is my instinct lighting up like a Christmas tree saying, this could have been a prank perpetrated by somebody else, not the children, but somebody intending to scare the children? Because all I can prove is that these kids saw something they did not understand. They were traumatized by it, and this is their story. That's all we have is their story. I'm not discounting them because they're children. I'm not discounting them at all. I'm just saying we have zero proof. All we have are their drawings. The teachers didn't see shit. Some of the kids ran. I'm not discounting them. And they look like they're telling the truth. I think it's because to them they are. I just, I smell something a little weird here. And I really wanted to, I thought that I would. When I hit record <laughs> starting this episode, I, I thought I would take most of this at face value. I, I thought we would be like, oh, proven. 
But the more we get into it, I got to be honest with myself. We have to be honest with ourselves. When the common sense doesn't line up, there's something wrong. There's another factor we're not looking at here, and we don't know what it is. Something about this story stinks to high heaven, and I don't know what it is. My instinct, like I said, is just lighting up like a Christmas tree. Mac on one end and the children being traumatized on the other. If I was in the presence of these children, I would, you know, grown-ups now, I would listen to what they have to say. I wouldn't interrupt them. I wouldn't tell them my little theories or whatever. Honestly, because I think to them, what they saw was what they saw. And it was either because it was real or because it could have been suggested, planted in their heads. The reason I say that is because their demeanor was completely different after Max showed up. That speaks volumes, and I don't see anybody talking about that. Not even the documentary, what was supposed to remain impartial. You, yeah, <laughs> you can't get around that. Something's happening here, to which I think we should just say aerial UFO incident merits further study. I doubt very much we'll find out the answer to this one. But it's a compelling and amazing case nonetheless. So what do you think about the aerial school UFO incident? Let me know. Go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there. As well as a link to get to our Patreon account where you can get everything from bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, giveaways at certain tiers, all kinds of stuff. Check it out. Shout out to the patrons, by the way. The Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson. I appreciate you. The show wouldn't be around if it wasn't for you. Thank you, everybody, for coming back every week. The show just keeps growing and growing, and growing. It's honestly astonishing. <laughs> I think we should study that. That's paranormal on its own, that little old me started this in a bedroom, and now it's taking the place of jobs. That's paranormal on its own. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for coming back. And yeah, that's all we got for this week. Now, are we ever going to run out of strange places to talk about? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place, and maybe one day, we'll visit yours. The Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music, and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world, and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support Strange Places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men in their lovely, lovely suits. 
Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.